I remember that day like it was yesterday. I know you're not tech nerds like me, but so you don't, but I bet it made just as big of a difference in your life and has changed your life in many ways as well. But I remember that day, January 9, 2007, the day when so many things changed. I remember the day when somebody gave me a Palm Pilot. Anybody remember what one of those was? <clears throat> I was working, and for my job, they gave me a Palm Pilot. And I'm like, man, this is kind of cool. Um, but now I have to carry around this device and this device. And it's like, I, I just don't like that. And, and I was thinking to myself, what if somebody made one device, all these into one device? How cool would that be? not to have to carry all these devices around. And so then I just remember that day when <clears throat> Mr. Jobs introduced one device to rule them all. <laughs> and it was an amazing, amazing moment. Uh, my wife says that was the day that she lost her husband. <laughs> However, if multiple years later I bought her one and then it's, it's all good now, so... I just want to say, as we start this series, if you're new around here, welcome. My name is Tim. I have the privilege of pastoring here. And we are taking a two-week break from our verse-by-verse -verse series through the book of Exodus to address a topic that literally impacts every one of our lives in the room. We're calling this series Connected. And over the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at some God-honoring ways to use technology. But I just want to... Um, ask you, think about the way that life has changed over the past 15 years. And this, if, you, you know, if you're under 20 or 25 in the room, this might be a little bit harder uh, for you, but anybody over 25 or 30, um, you, you don't stop to think about it that much, but think about how significantly life has changed over the last 15 years. I got married 15 years ago this May, and, and, the, and the way that society and our culture has changed and life has changed over that period of time has just been remarkable. Uh, in June 2005, uh, just a month after I got married, uh, there was a little website that was launched to uh, share videos. You know it as YouTube. It sold one year later to Google for $1.65 billion. Um, 15 years later, your kids want to be a vlogger instead of a doctor or a rock star. How crazy is that, right? June 29, 2007, the first iPhone shipped, and I didn't get one. I didn't get one for like two years because I was cheap. And so I had a buddy, a tech buddy, that would get every new one that came out. And so I just waited for him to get the new one. Then I bought his original off of him. And so I had it. I had the original iPhone, which I think is kind of cool. Think about the ways that a smartphone has changed your life. Most of you, um, if you're you know, under 20 in the room, you can't imagine a world without one of these. It's changed your life. It's changed the way the world works. It's changed how you do business. It's changed the way social dynamics work when you're in a group, hasn't it? Um, December 2007, this new service that just been out for a couple of years uh, called Facebook, it was the moment when it became really, really popular at 57 million users. Three years later, it was up to 500 million users. Now, 2.5 billion actively use Facebook every month. That's a, a billion more people than the largest nation in the world, China. That's massive. That's crazy. And it's really changed the way that m many of our social dynamics work. In December of 2007, 
there was this company that wasn't quite so large at this point, but it was growing, called Netflix. Anybody remember the little envelopes? December of 2007, Netflix introduced streaming video. And it was amazing, uh, because here's why it was amazing. Number one, if you wanted to binge watch a show, which I know you do, um, if you wanted to binge watch a show, here's how you had to do it, right? When, when, if you had Netflix, and I remember because we had Netflix, uh, you would have to actually, because we didn't pay for the expensive plan, right? We paid for the cheap plan. And so you would actually have to watch it and then go put the DVD back in the mail and then wait a couple days for it to come back, right? So that was that. Now, I remember, anybody remember 24? When 24 Jack Bauer, yeah, terrorism, I mean, crazy, like, intense. I remember, here's how we had to binge watch Jack Bauer 24, is my wife and I were watching it right after we got married, right, and going through it. And it's so intense. We're like, we can't wait till tomorrow. So literally, it's like 11 o'clock, and we know Blockbuster, which I know if you're under 20, you have no idea what that is. That was called a video store. (laughs) We had Blockbuster, and we would literally rush down to Blockbuster to get there before midnight so we could get the next DVD so we could binge watch But now you don't have to do that. You can waste countless hours of time from the comfort of your living room, can't you? Life's changed a little bit. In 2008, Amazon Prime only had 1 million subscribers. And today it has 150 million subscribers. Now, I don't know about you, but I can almost not even imagine a life where I cannot get things shipped to my door in two days. I mean, I'm like, how would I live? How would we run the church? (laughs) All right, this is going to be one of those series where I'm preaching more to myself than I'm preaching to you. (laughs) So we'll just get that out of the way right here, okay? Let's see, in 2010, the very first iPad shipped. Now, let me ask you, let's do a show of hands. How many of you have either one of those or one of the multiple tablets at least one to two to three in your house. Almost every one of us. How many of you can imagine a road trip with kids without a tablet? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know, how, how would we do that even? I grew up, we spent a third of the year, my parents had a ministry, we spent a third of the year in the back of an orange Volkswagen van traveling around the country with no tablets. <laughs> no phones. Not even iPods. All we had was cassette tapes of like Johnny Cash and stuff that my dad would throw in and play and each other to beat on. That was all we had. We didn't even have air conditioning. We had like a squirt bottle. Literally, my dad would hand that to us and go, air conditioning, roll down the window. Here you go. So that's just the past 15 years. That's just the past 15 years. And think about the major ways that life has changed, the major ways that you're, you're, the way you consistently spend your time has changed, the major ways relationship dynamics in your family has changed, the major ways that dinner time has changed. Think of all those things. And that's just the last 15 years. Now, your, your grandma, or depending on how old you are in the room, your, your great-grandma or your great-great-grandma, who you probably never met. But think of the changes that have happened in just a few generations. And this is interesting, because 
as, as I've been studying this week and as we've been having like some meetings and discussions leading up to this, one thing that John said is, hey, the, the interesting thing is that technology, if you're born with technology, it's not novel to you. It just is. It's just a thing, right? So if you're born with it, it's, you know, I tell you all about all these things in my ah, moment when Steve Jobs, you know, unveiled the iPhone. And for you, it's like, if you're born with it, which, you know, most of you in the room weren't, but some of you, you don't really remember phones before Smartphones, right? It just is. It's just what you've always had. And that's how your kids view, if you're, you're here and you're in your 30s or 40s, that's how your kids view technology. It's just part of life, right? But imagine in, in just a few generations, the speed of things and how things have changed. Uh, the automobile. Can you imagine life without that? The telephone. Imagine being the first, in that first few years of people that you actually got to pick up a receiver and talk to somebody who wasn't actually in the room with you. Think of how life changed with that, right? Or a radio or, or a record player, or an old phonograph, right? Before that, the only way you got to listen to music was if somebody was playing it for you in front of you. The television. Now imagine having no screen devices and then all of a sudden your dad brings home this big old box. And that's where the family would gather around them because it was the most novel thing in the world. And there were like two channels, right? You had like two choices. Some of you remember that. In fact, how many of you remember the days when there was one television in the house? Yeah, some of you. Crazy. You guys are old. <laughs> or, or the internet. Can you imagine life without the internet? There was a day when you had to hit this button and you had to plug the computer into the, the telephone line. And then it would make this like kind of sound. And it would dial in and then it would be super slow. It's like, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. AOL. <laughs> you remember that. And then your mom would yell at you because you're taking up the phone line because <laughs> you only had one, right? Think about trying to run your life without the internet. I think about all the things we do on a, on a daily basis and running the church and the office and kids checking, all kinds of things. I can't even imagine running it without the internet. Now, somehow people did it. I don't know. Crazy people. <laughs> and then the mobile phone, that came along. That changed life, didn't it? Now, here's the thing. Technology, we all know, is advancing at an incredible rate of speed. It's almost overwhelming. In fact, if you're one of these tech nerds like me, I just kind of gave up. My phone's like five years old now. I just kind of gave up on, you know, keeping up with the latest model. Because you just can't, right? By the time you buy one, it's like you wait a week and it's out of date. It's, it's just technology moves incredibly rapidly. But for thousands of years of human history, uh, technology progressed at a much slower pace. Like you'd have a great invention, like the wheel, Right? Now, that would have been a game changer, wouldn't it have been? You'd have a, a major invention like the wheel, and then it'd be like hundreds of years. And then maybe somebody would invent gunpowder somewhere, you know? Technology moved at a very, very slow pace. But then something happened around the year 1650. Around the time that they invented the, the printing press and international shipping lines came to prominence, the world began to change at an unbelievable rate of speed. And here's the thing, when we talk about technology, 
We, we are so used to changes in technology that we don't really stop to think about technology. We don't stop to think about devices. We don't stop to think about the potential impact these things have on the way life works. And we don't ever really pause and ask ourselves, what are all, what's all this change doing actually to us as human beings and to our relationships with each other and the way we interact with each other? We, we, we don't really pause and ask those things. And you know, some very smart people who lived before us were much more cautious about embracing technology than we are today, actually. You know, Socrates, he actually never wrote things down. He actually mourned the day the pen was invented, which sounds really so strange to us, doesn't it? But he understood something about technology. He understood that anytime you introduce technology into a society, things will change. And so he feared how the, cha- how the addition of the pen in hum- humankind would actually affect our human memory. Da Vinci, the famous brilliant painter and inventor, he died with a bunch of blueprints they found later. Detailed blueprints and drawings for inventions that he never shared with anybody, he never brought to light. He, he had a submarine and different things like that. And he understood that in- inventions would change societies. Necessarily, they would change societies and not always in positive ways. The, the point I want to make is, is not that technology is bad. The point I want to make about technology is this, that we rarely pause long enough to actually consider how tech changes us or changes our relationships, right? We rarely even pause and ask the question. Um, I bet you've brought all kinds of devices into your house without even stopping and asking the question of how is this going to impact my family? How is this going to impact my life? How is this going to change me? Have you noticed how we are more connected than we've ever been and yet we also feel many times more isolated than we ever have? The fact that you are connected to, I don't know, last time I looked, I had like 1,200 people on Facebook, right? The fact that you have hundreds of friends and yet oftentimes you feel more lonely and isolated than ever. You know, with every screen you bring into your house, it is an opportunity to live a little bit more isolated from those around you. Have you noticed that? Have you ever, this, is a, this will be a fun little uh, like homework assignment for you. Go count the number of screens in your house this week. I counted just in my head. 14. Not including all the ones in drawers that don't work anymore or have split screens and stuff, right? All the old phones I've just tossed in there. 14. I bet some of you have more. And here's the thing. We're not sure yet how all this technology is affecting our kids and our youth, but early studies aren't looking real positive. Uh, Harvard Medical School talks about it. And they, they said it's, it's not how long we're using screen that's, that really matters. It's how we're using them and what's happening in our brains in response. They say much of what happens on screen provides impoverished stimulation of the brain, of the developing brain compared to reality. In other words, what's happening on the screen in Minecraft or whatever is not reflective or as big as what's happening in reality, and the brains aren't developing in the same ways, right? A a, a symptom of this is kids don't know how to be bored. Have you noticed this? We tell our kids this all the time, like, you don't know how to be bored. 
And that's because if you're under 25 in the room, you've probably never had to be bored. Let me tell you about being bored. Orange van, third of the year, Johnny Cash. That's it. But here's what happens, creativity. Harvard says this, boredom is the space in which creativity and imagination happen. And yet for so many of us in the room, and I bet this isn't just kids, it's not just people under 25. I bet for many of you in the room, you have a real hard time being bored anymore. In fact, the second you start feeling bored, you reach for that phone in your pocket. You reach, right? It's just what we do, isn't it? In fact, let me, let me just take a stab at this because I don't think you're, I, you're much different than me or I'm much different than you, really. How many of you find yourself, like you can barely even watch TV or a show anymore without scrolling at the same time? Come on. The rest of you can just judge me. That's fine. Isn't that weird? We don't really know what it's doing to our brains yet. Uh, have, you, have you noticed, though, that when texting is your primary f- form of communication, have you noticed the additional anxiety that causes in you? Have you noticed how many times you've seen a text come through and you're like, oh, I wonder what they mean by that. I wonder if they don't like me. I wonder if they're mad at me. I wonder if, ah. <laughs> Yeah, you've experienced that, right? And so here's the whole thing with, with a lot of the technology and social media and digital connectedness that we have. It's like a giant human experiment that we don't know how it's going to turn out yet. We don't know how it's going to turn out. Then there comes a whole, that's just from sort of a sociological standpoint. Then there comes the, the question that you need to ask if you're a follower of Jesus is how is this, this device affecting my relationship with Jesus and affecting those in my life who he's called me to love and to lead and to serve? And that's a very important question to ask. And so as we take this next two weeks, I just want to say this is not an anti-technology talk. I hope you can tell that about me. Uh, This is not an anti-technology talk. And at the end of next week's message, uh, we are not going to go out in our dirt parking lot and make a nice pile and have a burnt, you know, device burning now, let me just say, if you're under 20 or 25, your parents did some weird stuff like that. Okay, ask them about it. It'll be some good stories. Yeah, burn the ACDC. Oh, yeah. We're not going to have any burnings when we're done with this series. I'll just tell you that. But what we really want to do is just stop and ask a couple questions and really take a moment to pause and ask ourselves these things. Really, the, the truth is, have you even paused to consider the impacts technology is having on your family or your life? We want to ask you, how are you doing using technology in a God-honoring way? And then what we want to do is give you some tools that will help you ask the question, how, how can I create some boundaries and some safeguards when it comes to technology in my life? And so if you have your Bibles and you want to turn, we're going to, we're going to look at a passage in Genesis that is really uh, informs this conversation. In Genesis chapter 1 Verse 1 is a great place to start when we're talking about major issues in life because it really sets up the foundation of who God is and what this world is meant to function like. And so right in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, what we see is this. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created. And so what is the very first thing we see about the nature and the character of God? 
in the Bible. He's creative. He's a God who creates, right? He creates everything. Now, he creates everything, we're told, out of nothing, ex nihilo, out of nothing. That all the matter, a universe that's so large we can't even comprehend it, it came from somewhere. And scripture tells us God spoke it into existence. That God who preexisted everything, who is outside of space and time, he spoke creation into existence. And so the first thing you see about God is his creativity. And so God creates and he creates the, the planets and the stars and he creates the animals and he says to the fish, swim in the seas and, and to the lions, I want you to roar, right? He creates all that. And then in verse 26 of Genesis 1, God says this. God says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Now, right in the very beginning in chapter 1, uh, verse 1, I didn't mention, but you see hints of the Trinity, which really isn't um, revealed to us clearly until Jesus comes, right? God the Son, and, and you know, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the three in one. So you see a plurality in the oneness of God. Now, so God says, let us make man in what? Our image. That humankind, that there's something different. He says, they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so for animals, like really the job he gives animals is what? Just to be animals, right? And so the lions roar, the fish swim, the birds fly. Now human beings, what is the primary job of humankind? to be the image bearer of God. What did we just say was the first thing we noticed about God? His, he's creative, right? And so being in the image of God, really, here's what this means, and here's how it ties into what we're talking about today, that advancement and creativity are hardwired into us. It's part of being in the image of God that we are creative human beings, the fact that we invent things and, and create new things and come up with new ways to do stuff, it's hardwired into humanity. It's part of being the image bearers of the one God who created everything out of nothing. Now, we don't get to create out of nothing, do we? We just get to take what he has actually formed out of nothing and turn it into something. That's the, that's the privilege he's given us. Verse 27, so... God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. So what we see right in these first few verses that talk about humankind's place on the earth is, is God's intention to have humans develop and have dominion over the earth and steward the earth as God is the creator and the ruler over everything, that God, own, like the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, yet humankind is placed on earth to steward and to have dominion over the earth, right? It's God's intention. And his, his intention is that we would steward the things he's given us and we would take our ingenuity and our creativity 
that thing that's in his image and we would use that to steward the earth and to develop the earth in a way that was for the flourishing of humankind and for serving him and worshiping him. So to worship him and then for the humankind to flourish. That's God's intention. That, human, that there, God sets up a hierarchy where he owns everything, he is in control, and yet we are his representatives on this earth tasked with developing this worth. It's like a giant project, right? He says, here you go, blank slate. Go out and do amazing things with this. Develop the earth, subdue it. In fact, just uh, in the next chapter, he's gonna tell mankind, I want you to go and name the animals. That's creative, isn't it? Can you imagine naming all the species of animals? That's one of the things, first jobs he gives human, he gives Adam. Go name all the animals. So we've been given this, this mandate, actually, from God to do something with this earth and to, in his image, to create. But to do it for his worship, for his glory, and for the flourishing of humanity. Now, here's the thing. If we get those twisted or turned around and we, and we stop doing it for, his, for the, his worship and his glory and for the flourishing of humanity, and somehow that gets twisted, everything begins to fall apart. And that's exactly what happens two chapters later in Genesis chapter three. Mankind basically says, I want to be, not just be here as God's representative, but I want to be like God. I want to be God. I want to take God's place in this whole thing. And everything goes wrong after that. It's called the fall. In fact, Romans, in, in Romans 1, it's not on the screen, but Romans 1.25 says what, what happened in that moment. It says, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. So truth is ex exchanged for a lie, and the thing now becomes the thing that's worshipped and served, the creation, ourselves as human beings, and the things we create, and small gods that are less than the one true God become the thing that become primary. And that's when everything begins to break down, right? And, and it, basically, the whole Bible is filled of, of example after example of how some human beings faithfully carried out their job of basically ruling over, having dominion over the earth, developing the earth, leading, serving in a godly way, and then a whole bunch of examples of people who did a lousy, lousy job and brought pain and suffering to humanity and did not glorify God but served things that are less than God, served their own interest, made much of themselves. And when it comes to how we view technology, one of the, and how it ties into that, um, one of the best stories that we see is actually just a little bit further on in Genesis chapter 10. And here, here's what it says in Genesis chapter 10, verse 8. So in a period of time where humanity is beginning to just, beginning to spread out and multiply on the earth, here's, here's what it says. Cush was the father of Nimrod. Can everybody say Nimrod? Okay. Actually, Nimrod, I'll tell you about him in just a minute. So I want you to say it with a little more gusto. I want you to say Nimrod. Nimrod. You'll see why. So Cush was the father of Nimrod, who became a mighty warrior on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. That is why it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. 
That's kind of cool. I, I don't know. Maybe that doesn't do anything for you ladies in the room, but come on, guys. It's like Nimrod. I want to be known as like the mighty hunter before the Lord. Ugh. Anyway, all right. <laughs> Verse 10. So here, here's what you got to know about him. So he's, he's a mighty hunter and he, he becomes a king. The first centers of his kingdom were Babylon, Uruk. These are famous names in, in ancient history. Babylon, Uruk, Akkad, and Kalna in, everybody say that out loud, Shinar. Thank you. From that land, he went to Assyria, where he built Nineveh, Raboth, Ir, Kala, and Resin, which is between Nineveh and Kala, which is the great city. So this is Nimrod. Nimrod, um, actually, we have a picture of him up here, and he looks like a stud, doesn't he? I mean, look at that epic beard. He's fighting a lion. So Nimrod, he appears as a character in a lot of ancient mythology, as well as the, the account, the actual account of his life that we see in the scriptures. Uh, he shows up in all sorts of different areas. There's even e evidence that the Epic of Gilgamesh and the myth of Hercules both find their origin in this guy named Nimrod, because he's such a stud. Powerful character in early humanity. Now, the other thing about Nimrod that maybe you know and, and maybe you don't know, because this isn't really that popular anymore, but if you grew up, um, you know, if you're like in your 40s, 50s, Nimrod has a different meaning, doesn't it? And what does it mean? A moron. Yeah, you don't hear it used much anymore, but like in the 80s, that was pretty popular as I was researching this. And actually, it's really funny. The reason that people attribute like idiot to Nimrod or moron to, to, to Nimrod is actually uh, can somewhat be traced to Bugs Bunny because he called Elmer Fudd a Nimrod all the time. So it became popular in the culture. But why did Bugs Bunny call Nimrod an idiot? That's the question. And the answer is found in this very next scripture here. Genesis chapter 11, verse 1. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain, and everybody say it, where? Shinar. Who rules Shinar? Not Nimrod. Let's hear it, guys. <laughs> Nimrod. Thank you. All right. So they settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks. Everybody say bricks. That's going to be important. Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we might, what? Make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Now, here's what you got to understand, because the details of this story are incredibly, incredibly important. What you got to understand is that God had told them, what did God first say in Genesis? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, right? That was the commission. Now, after the flood, he comes again, and what does he tell Noah in Noah's descendants? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, spread out, go, go, fill it, do it. Do your thing. Have dominion over this earth. Rule it in a wise way for human flourishing. Keep me first. Keep me at the center of it, and things will go well for you, right? And so what you got to understand about this situation and why Nimrod was such a Nimrod 
is because he leads a rebellion against God. He says, no, we're humankind. In fact, Josephus, a famous scholar, he tells us that actually Nimrod decided he wanted to build a tower so high that if God sent another flood, they couldn't flood him out. That's what Josephus says. So this whole thing is a, a rebellion against God. God says to spread out, I don't think so. We're going to be the gods of this place. In fact, this is really, when it says a tower that reaches to the heavens, this is really the idea of sort of declaring war on God. Which let me just say, if you're considering that, is not a good idea. You will lose, okay? But this is why this is such a big deal. And so what do they do? He says, let's make bricks. Let's make bricks. Now let me just ask you a question. What's wrong with a brick? Thank you. Nothing. And see, here's the point you got to understand here. Is that the issue isn't the bricks. Bricks were the iPhone of the day. <laughs> That's the truth. This was actually a massive technological advancement that humanity made. You see, instead of using stones, which are something natural, something God can shape, right? And have you ever built, tried to build a rock wall out of stones? It's challenging, time-consuming, it's hard. You've got to fit everyone individually, right? Instead, bricks can be mass-produced. They are uniform, and they actually stack really nicely, don't they? You can cheer for me. That was, that was, that was a technological advancement right there. Now, here's what you've got to know. There's nothing, God doesn't have an issue with the brick, does he? He has an issue with what, what they decided to do with the brick. God is not anti-technology. It's in his nature to be creative in our nature as we're made in his image to be creative and create cool stuff and, and advance, make advancements. See, these things could be used for all sorts of good things, can't they? For walls, um, you know, for irrigation like channels and building dams and all sorts of stuff that's helpful for human flourishing. Houses, terraces, all kinds of stuff. They're a very useful thing. They can also be used to build a tower to declare war on God and be used in ways that are very anti-human flourishing and for what? To make much of ourselves, to, to make much of ourselves, to bring the glory for us. The issue wasn't the bricks. The issue was how they used the bricks, wasn't it? The issue was the fact that they basically said, we don't need you, God. We, we don't want to serve God. We want to be God. And after this, what we'll see is bricks are often used as a metaphor for humankind in opposition to God after this in the, in the Bible because of this. And so we're in the book of Exodus. Last week, we were in chapter five. And, and what did we see? We saw Pharaoh working in opposition to the one true God who did what? He enslaved the people, forcing them to make bricks, but he pulled their straw back and said, I'm not even gonna give you any straw. And so what bricks represent in, in much of the Bible, it's just the technology. There's nothing innately wrong, but it represents this thing in the human heart that rises up and says, I don't want you to be my God. I will be my own God, which Pharaoh thought, right? 
It represents this thing that, that we tend to become enslaved to the things we create. Have you noticed that? That we tend to actually create something and then become a slave to the thing we create. And so, verse 5, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. And so one people, you know, just because everyone is doing it doesn't mean it's helpful or right. Just because everybody lives their life crazy doesn't mean it's not crazy. And this, in this culture, everybody banded together and said, let's do the opposite of what God said. And we live in a culture where the majority opinion of what everybody says is, hey, do whatever you want with your own body, right? Watch whatever you want to watch. Click wherever you want to click, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. The truth is it always hurts somebody else. The truth is it always does damage to something else. And God here says this word impossible doesn't mean they can become God. It literally in the Hebrew says nothing will be withheld from them. In other words, if they do this when they're in unity and rebel against me, imagine all the awful things they're going to do to each other. Imagine the level of sin and wickedness that's going to rise up. And so we think of God getting angry and coming down. Actually, there's no, there's no hint that God is angry in this text. It's actually God's mercy that comes down and divides the languages and disperses the people. And just a really quick note, because this is one of those weird, interesting texts that some of you are like, wow, that sounds really weird. Um, genetically, genetically, every race on earth can come from two, from two medium-skinned people. And, and when it comes to science, there's no other really good explanation for all of the languages that we see in the world other than this event. All right. Verse 8, so the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That's why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. See, the problem wasn't bricks, was it? The problem wasn't technology. The problem is what they did with it. You know, Facebook is a brick in modern day. It can be used for good, can't it? I mean, some of you, you keep up with like your extended family and aunts and uncles and see pictures of babies that like, you didn't get to do that before and it's so cool. I've used, we have this like running thing going in Messenger where we communicate with church planners that we've launched in Myanmar. It's cool. It connects us in ways that uh, we weren't connected with in before, right? But man, it can also be used for tearing apart relationships, can it be? You know, I, I read an article this week, 30 to 40% of divorces mention Facebook as a contributing factor. Because while it's easy to connect with each other, it's also very tempting to use that brick to connect with someone who's not your husband or wife, right? This article said this, Facebook itself may not be the problem more so than human nature. It turns out the social network easily caters to our darker side. The problem is in the heart, isn't it? 
the internet. It's an incredible tool. I cannot imagine living without the internet. When the internet goes down in my house, it's like, what do we do? And then I'm like, oh yeah, LTE. I mean, literally, I feel helpless when the internet goes down. I, wouldn't, I can't imagine life without it. It's great. You know, I mean, think of the online banking. You don't have to drive to the bank. You just take a picture. It's cool, isn't it? It allows us to do things. I, I love being able to get some weird random thing in two days dropped on my front step. I do. It makes life easier. Information's better. Like the tools that we use that are so cheap to manage the whole church was like a $25,000 database 15 years ago. And we have a real simple online thing now. It's amazing, right? But here's the thing. The internet also has a very dark side, doesn't it? And kids and youth are exposed to things that are literally as addictive as crack cocaine. And if boundaries and safeguards aren't put into place, they are as available as a click away. Relationships start on the internet. Some of you might have met on the internet. That's actually pretty cool. But unfortunately, it's also the place where many marriages are torn down because of all the filth on the internet, isn't it? So here's what I want you to do this week. You know, this week is really just the beginning of the conversation. This is a lot bigger conversation than we can cover in two messages, unless you want to stay for a long time. But there's burritos waiting out there, so I know you don't want to stay for a long time. So what we're going to do is this. Number one, um, in addition to posting our, our message, this message on our podcast, I'm going to post, we're going to post a longer form discussion dealing with some of the, the developments around technology and how it's impacting our lives. You can click Wednesday afternoon on our website or on our podcast or hit subscribe is even better and it'll be right there. And we're going to have a long form discussion about some of these things that dig into some of this a little bit more. So you might want to listen to that during the week. We're going to talk about how some of the things that are affecting your kids that you might not even know about, right? Next week, we're going to hand out a bunch of resources, a packet full of resources to help you deal with some of this tech in godly ways. But here's, what, here's how I want to close today. I, I just want to get the conversation started. And I just want you to ask these two questions. And I want you to write them down, and I want you to have a conversation with your family or with your husband or wife or with your roommate and just have a conversation around some of these things. What problem does this device solve and what problem does it create? You see, every time you bring a device into your house, it usually solves a problem. The new model does something faster, flashier. The new app. Another good question. What, what, what is this app? What problem does this app create? Add that into device, right? What does it solve? You know, when you hand your tablet to your four-year-old on the road trip, that solves a problem, doesn't it? I mean, it's like magic. It's like, la, hush. But it also creates a problem because if you've ever done that and come home like eight hours later, your little kid's brain is like fried, you know? 
and their behavior for the next three days is atrocious. That's what we've experienced, right? And so every time you, you're solving a problem, but you're creating a problem, right? When you hand your kid a phone, and just so you guys can stay connected to each other, that's solving a problem, right? They can get a hold of you if they need to. That's a good thing. You can get a hold of them. But it's creating a massive problem too, isn't it? Especially if it's a smartphone, an internet smartphone. You've got a huge problem you need to figure out on your hands. That's a good question to ask, right? How does this device make connecting with my family harder or easier? Second question is this. Do you, do you control your devices or do your devices control you? Do you control your devices or do they control you? Maybe you are the person that every time this thing goes ding or buzz, whoever's in the room ceases to exist. This is a problem in our lives, isn't it? This is a problem. You know, literally there is a dopamine hit that every time this thing buzzes or beeps or a notification pops up, there's a do little dopamine hit in your brain that makes you addicted to it. And it makes you grab it and check it. Well, it doesn't make you, but you choose to, right? Being aware of that is important. Uh, social media, Facebook, Instagram, and just so if you're like, oh, I'm too cool for Facebook. I use Instagram. They're the same company. Don't want to burst your bubble. They're all owned by the same dude. And here's the thing. The smartest people in the world are working for these companies, and they are putting all of their energy and effort into making you addicted to their product. It's the truth. Uh, it's in the algorithm. It's called Random Variable Award Schedule. We'll talk about that more in the podcast. What's going to make you engage? What's going to make you click? What's going to make you spend the most time scrolling? Surveillance capitalism. You know how much money Facebook made last year? $79 billion. You think somebody's trying to figure out how to get you addicted to it? Google, $132 billion. These are companies more powerful than many nations, right? So this is a really good question to ask yourself. When, at what point have you stopped ruling over your device and at what point does it begin to rule over you? These are really important things to ask if you're a follower of Jesus because we're called to serve one person, one individual. And we're called to reach out to those around us and love those. And, and our top priority other than serving God is loving those he's placed around us. And here's what happens is I, I've struggled with this and I bet you do too, is before you know it, this thing that's in your hand um, begins to isolate you and actually cause you to begin ignoring those that you would say are the most important people in your life, right? So would you just ponder this this week? Father, thank you so much for my friends. Lord, I pray that as we have this conversation over uh, this week and next week, that you would really allow us as, as followers of you, and more for those that aren't followers of you, even, even this is so applicable for them, do you allow us to ask some important questions that maybe we've never stopped long enough to ask? Will you allow us to really love and serve you with all our hearts and to love those that you've placed in our lives, Lord? We do love you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.